Hot take. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone at the end of the day wants to be happy in the work that they do. I think that some people have gotten very used to having lower standards than that and accepted that for so long that they think it doesn't exist. Every single individual has a story to tell and they're great stories that need to be heard. I want every listener to know they have the ability to change the world. Welcome to the 1720 Podcast. What's up, Mount Movers? Welcome back to the 1720 Podcast. We have our friend Tracy Tim joining us today. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Is that like out of the box, whoop, whoop? Yeah. It's not a Ric Flair woo like she did a couple weeks ago. <gasps> yeah, I but did. It, it still counts. <laughs> Is this the meeting I missed? Did yeah. we get a Ric Flair? Sorry, I missed mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a good excuse though. Do you oh. remember? You probably don't know. You know, you know my excuse. I don't remember. The, my, my car. Were you gaffing? No. Look, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, you oh, missed no. the He's you missed the lead up again. into how to curl your cords like a gaffer. You look that up. But in any event, my car is broken down, right? Remember that? That's the, oh, that's right. That the new my, one. <laughs> yeah, my new car was broken down. So I missed the meeting where we had double, as I know, double Ric Flair woos. Two Ric Flair woos. Uh, second one shook the room. Super proud of the team. And that team is the EDP, so Executive Development Partners. And that's how we met Tracy. Tracy's going to mm-hmm. be our facilitator for our inaugural year. Really looking forward to it. She's bringing a ton of energy. I don't know if you did a lap around her website, but she's done all the things. And Career Clarity Expert is the title. And onewhothrives.com is the website, and it's super legit. So we're going to just hit some action-packed wisdom throughout this hour. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. So there's how we get started. It's kind of the elevator pitch, but I'll just say generically, tell us who Tracy is. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. It's usually people like default into like very high level. Yeah. Or, or existential. Sometimes Ooh. we get like a 45 minute and, and we're still just talking about it. So I know, I love it. You just kind of choose your own adventure here. Today, November, what is it, 9th? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I just had a birthday, which I'm very excited about. I love getting older. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> and uh, when, When's your birthday? October 30th. October twenty October 7th, and I have a 29th also at my house. Nice. So October people rule. Yeah. Halloween babies. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. Kent Rabelais. Shout out to Kent Rabelais. His birthday is actually... On October 31st. There you go. Anywho, sorry. So, yeah, who is Tracy? Goodness. <clears throat> well, today, <laughs> uh, I gosh, I have a lot of things that I never expected, to be honest. I'm the CEO of a small company. I'm an author of a book. Um, I, I get to help people every single day figure out what they want to do when they grow up, mm. which is fascinating. Um, it's fascinating how many of us need that. <laughs> you think with like an incredible education or college or life experience or work experience, you would just sort of figure it out or maybe we're expected to know, you know, when we're kids and have this future vision. And a lot of people do, but most of us don't. And we really suffer in our career really early on trying to figure it out via trial and error and sort of, you know, old school wisdom and advice. And frankly, most of that stuff just really doesn't work that well. So I work with a lot of people who have just been struggling and suffering for years, being unhappy with the work that they do, thinking that that's the standard or that that's just what's expected. When in reality, I think that a career, when it's done really well, can be this incredible marriage between what you love and what you're passionate about and the service you have to give to the world. And then also making money and being fairly compensated for the value you add professionally. So that's what, that's what we try to help people do. So I know it 
doesn't start there, right? Like, because from your energy and how exciting and positive you are, like you are living your dream life, your dream career, but you didn't start day one out of school or with this career mind. So like, what was the lead up to it or, or like light bulb moment Ooh. where... It was yeah. like, all right, I'm going to pivot and get into this. This is where when we were like, okay, how much time do we have? I was like, we could sit here for multiple hours. This could be a Joe Rogan-esque length podcast because the story is really where it all comes together, I think. So I'm born and raised Texas girl, grew up in Flower Mound, went to Marcus oh, wow. High School. Yeah. So local. Um, and again, great education and really excelled at the things that I think were the standard for a kid of the late 80s. So like do really well in school, play a sport, pick an art, like a like I did band in middle school. And I was, well, I mean, <laughs> for the longest time, I only did things I was already good at, right? Like, uh, like many of us do, right? I, mm -hmm. I don't want to like suffer through some activity that I'm going to have to dedicate my life to that's miserable unless I have to, which is like school for most of us. Um, so softball, I excelled at, volleyball, I excelled at. And so I ended up um, being, having really great grades and being a good athlete. So I got recruited to play college softball which I did at Yale, which was uh, not in the cards for our family, like normally speaking. Yeah. Uh, it all came through athletics, which was just a blessing, but also a bit of a curse. Because <laughs> by the time I was 18 or 20 years old playing softball my entire life, I was totally toast and done with it. But Yale was just... Which is a common story. We yeah. don't need to linger on it, but com no. common story. I mean, so I, I played two years and it got me into this incredible school where I actually got to really turn into the nerd that I actually am, which <laughs> <laughs> like I, my first year, I just remember. So Yale has this really cool open curriculum, basically. So you can pick out of the 2000 classes they offer that year, any like nine that you want to take more or less. There are these very small requirements. Um, and so I just like dabbled. I was like, what sounds fun to learn? So I took a class on philosophy. I took a class on sociology. I took like all kinds of weird stuff. And then that's how I stumbled on um, psychology was like, oh, there's a whole class about humans and like why we do what we do and motivation and behavior. And I found that fascinating. Mm. And that's when I realized that really I had always had, you know, I struggled a long time to like articulate my own passion or purpose. But I really think it's people at the end of the day. Like what, whatever I enjoyed previously, I realized I had enjoyed because of the people that were involved in it, the relationships that I built and getting to understand them and know their story. And I just find all of us really deeply fascinating because your story is different from your story is different from mine's story. And we're all in this one same place, which is crazy to think about the paths that we took to get here. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. So Long story short, I studied psychology, but again, like my whole life had been about achieving the goal that was right ahead. So get an A on this test, get an A in this class, be varsity in this sport, you know, get into the right school, graduate from that school. But we never talked about career in our house, weirdly. Like I had two very career driven parents, both worked while I was growing up. I'm an only child. Like they had no one else to talk to this about, uh, <laughs> but we didn't cover it. And so I was coming up on graduation trying to figure out what I would do after I graduated. And I'm a really deeply independent person. Part of that, I think, comes from being an only child. Part of it comes from having really strong parents um, and just also feeling very grateful for everything they had done for me. So I didn't want to move home. I, I didn't want to not get a job just because I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I wound up getting recruited off of campus because Yale does a lot of on-campus recruiting mm -hmm. uh, into finance, of all things. So I graduated with a degree in psychology in all of two classes in math whatsoever, one that I took for credit. <laughs> so I didn't even get a grade. I just got like, you pass, you get a credit. Uh, and I was working on a trading floor right outside of Manhattan, selling high yield and distressed credit bonds and loans to asset managers and institutional investors and things like that. So 
and that deep was breath. the turning point, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that, and, and I had had jobs growing up. I'd probably started working when I was like 15 years old at El Chico Mexican Cafe in Flower Mound, which isn't there anymore, right? And, uh, and so I was used to working and sort of taking care of myself and everything that comes with that, but I was just so shocked at how miserable I was at this job. Like, abjectly miserable. Dragging myself out of bed early in the morning. Trading floor hours are like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. as opposed to investment bank hours, which are like 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. or whatever. Um, And so, you know, I'm not a morning person to begin with. I have nothing to do with finance in my background, and I don't really particularly care for it. I'm not really that invested myself, generally speaking. So it was just this total mismatch. But I kept thinking, I'm smart. I'm hardworking. I can do this. It's just a matter of like figuring it out or getting more excited about it or finding motivation or whatever. And so I pushed through it for a couple of years, but I was so miserable. And I deeply remember that the only thing keeping me there was that I didn't know what I would do instead. Mm. Right. So I would have run out of the front door happily, but I didn't know where I was running to. You know, and and so, of course, I was not going to leave a job without another job or leave a job without a vision or a path or anything. Um, And so I started asking around for advice, like like as one does. At least that's what I do when I have a problem. I go to people who I think can solve it. I'm a people person by nature. I'm not I'm not a researcher (laughs) or a Googler. like I want to you know, I know Kevin's good at this. I'm going to go to Kevin and have him teach me how to do it or have him do it for me. Like, why waste time? So I want to go around to people I trust and try to ask for advice and got just horrendous advice, (laughs) like just awful, you know, stick it out. This is hard work. You're paying your dues, blah, blah, blah. There's a difference between paying your dues, which is like maybe 20 percent of your job is miserable, Mm -hmm. but you get through it as opposed to like 90 percent of your day makes you want to harm yourself and then you're really in a bad place. So what ended up happening, the reason that it sparked all of what ended up coming to fruition by today was that I called Yale Career Services. And I was like, certainly the Career Service Center of the school that I went to and paid a abject ton of money to go to. I don't know if this is a swearing podcast. That was a not. great catch. That uh, was a great catch. Uh, was, I was for sure they're going to have something, a book, a program, a coach, something. And they were like, actually, no, we don't do any of that. We're really just here to like help people get jobs. We don't necessarily, they didn't say this, but they didn't care how happy I was at the job. Uh, that, wasn't, Yale. that wasn't their metric. Their metric is how many of our students graduate with jobs, right. right? They don't care how long you keep it. They don't care, you know, and that's fine. That's not what they're measuring and whatever, but that's... That's interesting. It was sad. It was so sad to me that that even... I remember even asking the girl on the phone, like, well, how'd you get your job? Like, at least give me some insight. She's like, well, I kind of fell into this. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, you cannot be a career counselor at an Ivy League university and tell a, an alumni that you fell into your job. Like, ah. So that's when I really just saw there was a hole in the marketplace. Like, there are tons of people like me who are well-educated who just don't know what they want to do and haven't been – I don't know, either taken through a process or or taught or had a great example, right, of what they wanted to do. And so they're floundering and they're struggling in jobs that, frankly, aren't serving them, aren't allowing them to use any of their gifts or serve people powerfully. And it's wasting everybody's time and everybody's money. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up leaving that job because, frankly, I, I got burned out. I mentally and physically had to leave. But the turning point this is one of my favorite stories was, um, so you guys remember, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I hate this job, but I can't leave because I don't know what I would do instead. Mm-hmm. So I was taking this break one day with a guy who I worked with who's a year younger than me. So we were both analysts and we'd worked together for a year. 
So we've known each other for one solid year. We took one break a day where we would take a little walk on the balcony on the top of the uh, building. And there was this little creek that ran along next to the building and this bridge that ran over the creek. And uh, they were doing construction on it that day for some reason. I think it was the winter and whatever. And I just remember casually, because we would do the same lap every day, <laughs> just pointed out, like, because there was something different. And the guy I was walking with was like, oh my gosh, Tracy, I studied engineering in college and I love construction. And here's exactly what's happening on that bridge. And he talked about cement and jackhammers and the number of people and like all the processes. And here's exactly what they're probably doing and why. And like, he came alive. I had literally, again, worked with this guy for a year, had never seen this side of him. He was the kind of guy who would come in, put on his headphones with like rage music and just like model, you know, on Excel. <laughs> <laughs> like, like and, and he was really deeply unhappy. Like when we would go out on the weekends, all we would do is complain about work and stuff. So I remember being so angry. <laughs> like here you are, you know what you want to do. You have all the passion and, and you even have the education to go do it. And you're sitting here suffering in this job unnecessarily when like all I wanted was the spark that he had. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would have been there would have been a Tracy shaped hole in the wall. And, you know, that would have <laughs> been it. So I, I just was so mad. And I remember thinking, you know what, if he knows it, then I can figure it out. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be linear. It's probably going to be a lot of hard work. But that really motivated me to quit that job was just seeing that it was possible and then realizing that so many people are staying in those jobs out of like, this is what successful people do mm -hmm. mindset when ugh, he could be like, you know, God's gift to engineering and construction and he's wasting away building models in this company that like doesn't value him, doesn't care about him. You know what I mean? So I just it was really upsetting. And and that was. That I, have, was I have a tendency to like circle back with it, and and usually when I do so, I say what? Two things. Two things. Yeah. <laughs> two. And sometimes only linger on one. Sometimes there's only one. Yeah. But <laughs> the two two thoughts is through through that story because I actually have two. One is I, I I can identify that that like light bulb moment I've seen before where you're having a conversation with somebody. In fact, I w Ashley and I were talking about someone who's in like my our our son's parental peer group mm -hmm. and I saw him the other night at a thing and we just talked and I was just kind of, yeah, it's kind of milk toast, you know, like, yeah. but I, 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 I thought like there's something, I can't unlock it, but there's something that like he'll have, he'll, his eyes will brighten mm -hmm. and he'll be like, this is this thing, but I can't, I haven't found it yet. Like all the conversations mm -hmm. I hadn't gotten to it yet. Got it. But like, I know exactly what that feels like when you get in a conversation with someone and you're like, that's their thing. And they come alive. Yes. They come alive. And that's what I realized. Like, so many of us are just zombies all day long, every day. And then we get used to being zombies. And we think that's the that's the standard. And it it's unreasonable to expect more than that. Mm. When in reality, I think the work that we're meant to do, like, brings out that alive, passionate, excited, whatever word you want to use, person, the best version of yourself yeah. in some sense, professionally. And, and that's the gold standard. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to circle back to you growing up. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, because you said something, and the note I took was, um, we never talked about career at home. Mm -hmm. It was just the next thing. And so I'm raising three kids right now. Yeah. And we have had conversations this week about progress reports, the next thing, the next thing for us right now, like in this exact moment, William mm -hmm. is in a gym trying out for the basketball team. Aww. 
he's going to make it. He's a great little basketball player. Yeah. But, like, that's the next thing, and then we'll check that off, and then we'll move to the next thing, and we'll check that off and move to yeah. the next thing. And so when you said you grew up in a home that we never really talked about, it just checked off the next thing and never talked about career, I want to circle back and be like, why? Or, like, what, from <sighs> yeah. your perspective, would you tell parents that are, like, sitting in my space to do or not do to avoid the their kids feeling like you feel about that. Absolutely. I have a lot to say about this. Lay it on me. Um, what you mostly, got? so here's the thing. I'll caveat. I'm not a parent yet personally, but I have had two and, uh, I would give them advice and I have actually openly talked to both of my parents about a lot of this stuff, because as you can imagine, they've been involved in a lot of my story. Um, first of all, let me say that I personally was an achiever kid. So like early on, <laughs> My mom hates this story, but I tell it almost every time I get interviewed. They learned quickly that I responded to positive feedback and particularly being labeled a winner or successful. So, mm. like, to get me to behave in church, let's say, my mom would be like, okay, remember, at the end of church, you get a grade, right, for my behavior. And I wanted an A. So what did I do? I sat up straight. I kneeled. I did all the things. Like, we were Catholic, right? So I learned really quickly to sit and stand and do all that jazz. So... I, after church, I'd be like just salivating, like, did I get an A? Did I get an A? Did I, <laughs> right? And she's like, I don't know. I think you got an A minus today because you talked during blah blah blah. And I'd be, I'd be crushed. So let me just say that I was the kind of kid that played into that. Yeah, yeah. And then also, as I was being raised in in the you know '90s and early 2000s, middle school, you know, elementary, middle, and high school, um, it really was the time where like if you didn't specialize in a sport and play. Yeah. You know, and, and it's getting even worse now, isn't it? But, like, oh, you've yeah. got to play on the school team and have a travel team and do all these tournaments and all this other stuff. So it takes over your life. Well, and you were in the space of two, like, highly time-suck sports, too. Ugh. Softball and volleyball are, like, yeah. right below baseball. Yeah. And then those next two. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. It was so crazy. And then growing up in Texas, right, you can play all year long. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, it just that was it's a life in and of itself from the time I can remember. Because I was really good at one point. Like, my 10-year-old and 11-year-old teams won back-to-back -back national championships. Like, we were excellent for at a really young age. And my dad really wanted to play into that. And so we did. Mm -hmm. And then I also was just really a, a really smart kid from the time I started. I was in like leap programs, yeah. like gifted and talented kind of stuff. And, and so they really nurtured that. And my dad loved it. Like I remember being in kindergarten and he would give me little tests while we were driving to pre-K or whatever. <laughs> and like, and I do little math problems. And again, I played into it. So I think it, we kind of co-created the scenario that ended up happening. But basically what I would say is, Look past college and stop making college the gold standard of your child's level of success. So uh, we were like so gung-ho as a family, like you will get into college, it'll be a great college, and you know while you're there, you're going to get great grades. But like there was nothing beyond that. There was nothing beyond what I'm going to call like the linear graph of success, which A, B, C, D, and F are linear ways to judge if you're successful or not. Varsity, JV, freshman, whatever, linear ways to judge whether you're successful or not. Out in the working world, there's all kinds of definitions yeah. of success. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have one, then you look to other people and you use theirs. Right? I, that's the benefit of hindsight. You don't know when you're going through college or at that moment that that even exists. No. And I, I was telling you about a girl earlier this week that interviewed with me because she had a super passionate career success coach, Mark Stark. I'll sh shout him out, UT Tyler. Oh, cool. That's a spark, like finding and connecting people and putting his students into careers. Oh, I love that. And this this girl was like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm in a criminal justice major. It, my path would be attorney. Everybody's telling me I, not to do that. And that, I don't think I'm passionate about it. 
what should I do? And I'm on a Zoom call mm. with her. I'm like, you're doing it right now. Yep. Like, just discovery. Talk to some people that are willing to talk back to you and and show the opportunity. And and, and the right company won't care about your major. Like, you, yeah. we can build your experience. If you have great character and a positive attitude, come on board. Like, mm-hmm. And so I think that's one. it's very timely that she interviewed this week where it's kind of in that message where she doesn't know what she is going to do, but she's she's putting herself out there yeah. and, and building those relationships and to try and find the spark. Because you're right, we just go, all right, I got I have to get my 15 credit hours that align mm-hmm. with my major. And once I graduate, then I'll worry about my job. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to see when you're going through that grind. Yeah. And, and again, the way that we and we do not need to get into a philosophical discussion about education in the United States, but Ooh, the way actually, that it's, maybe we do the actually. way that it's structured is just so not practical. Yeah. Like we're not teaching kids skills to go use professionally. Nobody knows how to give a speech. Like everybody's terrified of putting themselves out there. Nobody knows how to network, and that's what really works. Yeah. And so we put kids behind screens, and we you know get their typing proficient and whatever. And then what do they do? They hide there forever. You know, the number of people I talk to in a given week who are, I'm like, okay, what are you doing right now to get more clarity in your career? Like, what are you proactively doing? Are you watching webinars? Are you talking to people like me? What are you doing? And they're like, well, I scroll on job boards and, you know, I look at Indeed and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm like, ah, like I just, I want to like reach through the phone and shake them and say like, okay, Google is a, is a search engine, but human beings are such a more dynamic way to learn about what's actually going on in the world because they can talk back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can ask clarifying questions. Like you can't do that online. And yet, and for, for by the way, I just had this sort of thing uh, pop in my head this week. Um, how long have we had the internet? Like how long have job boards even existed? What, less than 30 years? Less than 20 oh, years? It has to be less. Yeah. It has right? to be less. I mean, yeah. I don't know when. How did people get jobs before there were job boards online? Yeah. Talking to other people, networking, having relationships through you their families, it's right? It's funny like, when you said that, my instant thought was, I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea how and people you know, got jobs before the pull internet. Pull a tab <laughs> on the corkboard. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, have, I have no idea. You go to career services The classifieds and, and the yellow pages. Maybe you went to college and you got inspired. But, like, that's the thing is now that's the that's sort of the industry standard. Do you have your resume? Is it applicant tracking system ready? Blah, blah, blah. And the reality is studies show to this day even, Columbia University came out with a study last year that says that less than 20% of jobs that are available at any given moment in the United States are posted or Wait, have a job Wait, say that one more time. It is maximum 20% of the jobs that are available at any given time have a job description and are posted online. Wow. That's why you have to be talking to humans, and that's why we need to like learn how to do that sooner. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the, the teaching. I digress. Of... This is the soapbox thing I told you about. No, I, I just like get it. Really that's excited. interesting. That's a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff in there. It, it's not like it's not only the don't have classes on how to do that, right? But why you would do that? Mm-hmm. So like, once you fill out your application, they always say like, you know, make sure they stand out because by the time it crosses over to the other pile, you've been passed. What about showing up and being like, hey, I applied online. I would love to just shake the hand of the person that actually uh, reviews this. You will if get somebody, the job. You will 100% if, get the job every If time. somebody did that in your office? No, we wouldn't let them in the door. <laughs> I mean, they're crazy. Get out of here. Get yeah, they get maced. Get out of here. <laughs> You're what? a crazy person. No, no, yeah, I, I, yeah. I jest, of course. But, yeah, we, we've had a couple of those instances where people have um, applied, followed up, phone call, 
can we grab a cup of coffee? Like that sort of like aggressively pursued, not in a bad way. I don't, I don't want the word aggressive there to be like conjured no. into some, but like express legitimate interest other yeah. than just like, here's my resume from yeah. LinkedIn. So I think, you know, obviously to go like all the way back to directly answering your question about like what can parents do is start like actually getting your, ask more questions about what your kids actually care about and are interested in. Mm -hmm. So like there are the things we're sort of forced to do or we're compelled to do like school or whatever extracurricular activity you do to put it on your college application, yada, yada, yada. But like if your kid's super into art, like give them more opportunities to to dabble in different kinds of art and ask them questions about why and what applications they're interested in and just like learn about what they care about. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I love my parents. I have actually two of the most incredible parents ever. So I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm just saying that we as a family unit were so focused on Tracy's success in any given thing that it stopped being about whether or not I actually wanted to go to the thing. It was just whether or not I was going to win. Performance, performance, performance. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, again, played right into it mm -hmm. because that, that was my love language, I guess, at the time, um, to use your term. Uh, but I really – so the youngest kid I've coached to date was four, is 14. And so he's now 15 or 16, I guess, in high school. And I took him through the same exact career clarity process I take 40, 50, 60-year-olds, okay? So we, he doesn't have a ton of work history, let's say, but he's got a lot of interests and activities and extracurriculars, and he goes to school, and he takes certain classes. And what we realized is actually he would probably be better served going to an arts school mm -hmm. or a design school because everything he does in school, he has no interest in whatsoever, not only because it's, like, boring, and I'll give you that, but he was even going out of his way to take extra art classes and design classes with all of his um, – uh, what do you call them? Uh, the, the Electives. Thank you. Oh, Nailed wow. it. Over here. Ah, nothing. Just went blank. I, yeah. I got I'm, I'm a mind reader. Electives. There we go. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, and so we and we looked at, like, what he had done in his spare time. And he was, uh, you know, like, yeah. you could just see it. And the great thing was that his dad had invested in me and said, you know, I have a colleague who said that he had a career coach when he was in high school who was really influential in his life. And so I don't know what you're going to be able to do with my son, but, like, I want to hire you. And you you take him through your process and whatever. And I did, and I think it was super beneficial for both of them to just have the edification that, like, okay, I'm not crazy. It would be okay if my kid doesn't go to an Ivy League school because, hey, guess what? He's not going to be best served by going to that school, and that's okay. What I hate is that schools, especially universities, have made, like, getting into the, the quote, best college or whatever, this level of, um, I don't know, success, which, again, what I went to one, so what am I like? <laughs> who am I to say? But I really think some people would be better served taking that money and starting a business, yeah. taking that money and starting a life, or taking that money and just getting a job in a trade that they love, or you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, if I was mechanical and had that brain, I would go do that because those are jobs that you can have forever that will constantly be learning because technology changes. You know, that's fun. But anyway, I, I just you can really serve your kids by actually checking in every i don't know quarterly every 6 months and going do you like the stuff you're doing mm -hmm. are you happy like not in the push through the hard work are you happy because we all we need to teach kids that for sure but the like would you rather be doing something else with your time and are you interested in something else that i could nurture just as much as i'm nurturing this activity i think would go a long way that is i mean I won't say Ashley and I nail it all the time, right? Like we're not crushing being parents of three kids, but we have that conversation more commonly than I think probably was had in your house and mm -hmm. definitely in my house. Just asking the kids, like we're, we're, we're applying a lot of resources, uh, both time, emotional, physical, 
transportation, et cetera, towards this activity. Are you having fun? Good. Like, is this something you like doing? Because it's 100% okay that to say, no, nah, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore. That's okay. Because I fear the been playing, to your story, I'll tell mm-hmm. you, to, been playing softball competitively for 19 diggity years, and now I hate it. Yeah. And just running out of steam. It took me about five years after quitting in college to even pick up a ball again. Mm-hmm. And now I play in a co-ed slow pitch league. I go to a tournament once a year. I love it. It's fun. But it's, that took a long time to get over the, I mean, I hesitate to use the word trauma, but you know what I mean? Just the like overuse and burnout and yeah. all that stuff was a lot to get over. So How, yeah. This is going to be super deep. How did you handle like what? could from an outsider's perspective be like the loss of your identity around having done that activity for so long. Do you remember when Facebook first came out? You mean the Facebook? The Facebook, when it was original and you would join groups and Mm -hmm. those groups were something funny, like I go out of my way to step on crunchy looking leaves or (laughs) I like to punch slow walking people in the back of the head. I was was in both of those groups. (laughs) But there was another group called I Can't, period, I Have Softball. That was the name of the group. And so all of us who were in the DFW area who played were in this group. I can't. I have softball. Because what was our answer to every invitation, yeah. every date, every – right? It was, I can't. I have softball. I was the softball player from as early as I can remember, right? And oh my God, I will never forget my first Saturday on campus, not on the varsity softball team. I was a junior. And I was like – I woke up. I went to brunch. We had brunch at Yale, yeah. Yeah, you did. <laughs> once, it's a super Yaley thing. scooping caviar on some eggs. <laughs> once yeah. a month, we did have bagels and lox, which I learned to eat because Yale's like a quarter Jewish. I don't, most people don't know this. Uh, so we'd have lox and bagels and all that kind of fun stuff. Anyway. With the presidents and stuff. Well, just clearly. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> Same. All the dead ones. They like reincarnate the dead ones to come have lox. They do. With they too. float around. It's kind of like Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've been there. Nearly headless Nick. And uh, yeah, anyway. So. Um, <laughs> My first Saturday, I was like, what do people do on Saturdays? Like, I, I I did not know. I walked around campus and I literally didn't know what to do with myself mm-hmm. because I was so used to the routine of having practice or having a game or having, you know, a team function or whatever that, like, I literally didn't know what to do with myself. So, yeah, junior year was really rough. Yeah. Sophomore year was harder because I was struggling through softball and trying to make it work. Junior year, I felt became a little bit of a renaissance because I finally got to go do stuff that I thought was interesting. So I actually ended up joining the Yale Daily News. So I I would write a bi-monthly or twice a month column about a previous Yale varsity athlete's perspective on athletics, like whatever was going on in the world. So I wrote about the Olympics or like our club teams or whatever, uh, which was super fun. So I got published for the first time, which is where I really got into writing. So like pull that, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, I joined the club volleyball team which I had played in high school and growing up, but I had to drop because you have to specialize mm-hmm. and right to get into school. So that was so much fun because it was like way lower stakes. Lots of fun when you went to practice. We had a young coach who was really inspiring. And then we would go to tournaments and just like try to have a good time. And we ended up being really good. My senior year, we won a national championship. And Yale it was club fun. Volleyball. And, and it, it was, was fun, fun doing it. It was fun the whole time. It was I'm going to get a red time. hat. Print white letters on the front that says "Make sports fun again." <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah. Rocket. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's so truly, it. I mean, multiple times in my life now, I've I've gotten rid of something that was truly identifying. Yeah. And and that was the first time, and it was terrifying to be honest. But if I, 
have a bad habit, and I'm getting better at it now that I've done this a couple times, of waiting until I'm at the point of no return to quit something. So this happened with softball. I was literally, at, like, I got the yips. Like, my body stopped working because it wanted out so badly. So I quit. I got to the point of absolute burnout on Wall Street where I was, like, like mentally and physically unwell. I ended up getting um, hypothyroidism just from stress. Mm. <laughs> like, I had, yeah, like, real stuff. Yeah. Um, so I quit finally. Um, and as I got a little older, I started to realize that, like, the stakes of quitting – aren't really as high as you think they are when you're younger. Like you can almost always go back to something you did before. You can almost always build that bridge back if you really want to. But mm. if you're looking for a sign that it's time to quit, it's likely that the fact you're looking for a sign is your sign. It's yeah. time. So. Well, let's get into that with your career because well, like let's talk about it. I I want to know do you have is it both corporate and individuals? So you're working with individuals, but you're also working with companies. I, yeah. And I'm chomping at the bit to kind of break that down a little I bit. Can't I can't wait. Questions. No, this is awesome. So thank you for getting into the story part. And it really is, you know, an evolution. I feel like I've learned a lot over the past several years. I ended up starting the business seven years ago, um, after an even more horrible fit than Wall Street job that I took that then was like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So I started this business seven years ago. I remember what had happened was I quit Wall Street. I ended up going on a semester at sea which was if you guys have you guys heard of this semester at sea it's an undergraduate study abroad program where you get on a boat with like 700 other students and you sail around the world for four months <laughs> no definitely haven't heard of it it sounds like something amazing. yale kids do very yaley oh that's well <laughs> they went yaling i'm just gonna <laughs> drink my tea with my pinky up <laughs> that's right you guys i don't know laugh. if you heard me dog they went yaling <laughs> Like, oh, no. We heard we it. We got it. Okay. <laughs> you got eye rolls for whoever's listening. Oh, okay. uh, That's a good one. So, no. Actually, so every... <laughs> <laughs> the it's a actually private nonprofit and it's sponsored by a public university every year. So like University of Virginia was the sponsor school the year that I went, and so UVA and like Boulder, uh, Colorado have have big contingents that go every year. Anyway, yes, it's bougie and cool. I went as a post grad though, so I was twenty five and I was surrounded by like eighteen, nineteen, and twenty year olds all getting college credit, living on this ship together. You're laughing. It was it was a gong show. I'm just I'm just laughing, thinking about my dad just like pointing at his watch, like, "Hey, you graduated, junior. <laughs> <laughs> Clock's a tick, and he's already packing my bags." <laughs> no, hold on, dad. Oh, you want to go yachting around the world? Do you? <laughs> yeah, I guess we kind of were. Um, anyway, it was amazing. So, like, instead of studying abroad in one place, right, you live on this ship, and then you stop at various ports around the world. And when you're on the boat, you take classes, just like normal school. So there were um, professors on the boat and entrepreneurs and a bunch of other mentors. And then when you got off uh, in various ports, you would just travel for six days or seven days, wherever we were. So coolest experience ever. That sounds amazing, yeah. <gasps> like, best life experience. Best choice ever. It was the scariest purchase I'd ever made in my life up to that point because I funded it all myself. Couldn't believe I even got in, frankly. But I again, this is, goes back to humans. I called them and said, do you ever take postgrads? I think I could add a lot to the school. You know, I think I'd be a great addition to the blah, 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 blah. And they were like, oh, my God, yeah, absolutely. Your story sounds great. Let's get you in. And, like, the next day I was accepted. So That's so awesome. Goes, just go show you. Just ask for what yeah. you want. Just Oh, the other thing that I did that, again, this will be inspiring to people who are like, I could never afford that. I called and said, do you ever um, – uh, make concessions on like the tuition. Like I this I have exactly this amount, and it, it, X was half, so mm. I, I I owed them two X, and they were like, let's see what we can do. They sent me four scholarship applications, and I applied to all four and got all four in various amounts that added up to exactly X. <laughs> wow! So I ended up only paying what I had by asking. Mm -hmm. So again, this just goes to like I I'm a huge preacher of like you don't get what you don't ask for. Right. Mm -hmm. So um anyway. 
go on semester at sea. That's really where I got inspired to like figure out what I loved and, and help people with something that mattered and that could be part of my work and um, I met some incredible mentors that really did a couple of important things number one helped me look back at my previous work experience and actually draw value out of it even though it was a miserable experience overall two remind me who I was naturally and that that was actually valuable even though it was a liability in the environment that I was previously in right and three really helped me start to put those puzzle pieces together so that as I looked forward I wasn't so stuck on my work history I was thinking more proactively about what I would do if I could do anything and really add value in the world and it was life-changing so I got out of that I ended up like spending another couple years I worked for a woman who kind of did what I do now she would speak and uh, she wrote a book and uh, would do presentations and stuff. And so I learned what that lifestyle would be like. Could I handle the hustle, that sort of thing. And then I took a job out of total fear, a full-time job here in the DFW area that was going to pay me like 60 grand and have dental insurance because I was terrified of not having those things anymore <laughs> and um, crash and burn. It was the worst fit ever. Got asked to leave within like three to six months, I think it was. It was just this most horrible fit. And it was that moment in time where I was like, Lord, I thought I was doing it. I quit the Wall Street job. I did the thing you asked. I'm trying to follow this calling, but you, you got to show it to me. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. This didn't work out, obviously, going the safe route. Like, can you show me that it's worth going this, this scary route anymore? And that was when I really, and, and again, you put into this what you want, but I really felt like I heard, like, I really felt like I heard God say, like, I already showed you what it is. It's this career clarity thing. The thing that you've been looking for and now you have, you can give to other people. Um, and I literally started my business like the next day. So that was seven years ago. That was 2014. And originally for the first- I'm going to stop you. Yeah. Please. We've talked about this a couple times on here where people say like they heard a word from God. Like I felt open to saying that because I know, you know, obviously what the podcast is about. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. I, I want to I wanna unpack that for just a scope. Sure. Because sometimes people say they felt it. Like, they just felt it. Like, there was an urging of their soul. Mm. I heard it, but not, like, audibly. Some people, like, say they heard it, like, audibly, like, in someone else's voice. Some people say, I heard it, oh. but through, like, the messengers of God. Like, I yeah. heard it, but, like, that was God. Through right. Kevin. Or yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So I'm, what, what's, what's that story for you? So at most of the times in my life where this has happened to me, it's, it's the right person has shown up at the right time and yeah. said the right thing. This was a thought. Yeah. Like, I was deep in really pitying myself i remember <laughs> i got asked to leave this job and i was like really me with hmm. the yale degree and the wall street experience you you don't like me you know i was just totally humbled by this and uh remember leaving that job i couldn't even say the word fired i couldn't call my mom i couldn't call my roommate i couldn't I, so i went to whataburger and got a honey butter chicken biscuit yeah, and did. a chocolate milkshake solid move and i just drove around <laughs> dallas <laughs> <laughs> I really did. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? And then I think I just parked somewhere and just like sat and was like, all right, come on. Like, mm -hmm. you got to be kidding me here. Like, what, what am I doing? What are you doing? What, what, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just, and it was a thought. It was, you aren't actually trying. Yeah. That was the thought. Oof. And I was like, Oh, mm, I don't like that uh, answer. That's, that's that hit home, you know, and it was you aren't actually trying. And that, that's when I realized that I really had been taking the safe route and not giving it my all and not putting everything I had behind it 
because I was really scared of real things, not being able to pay my bills or take care of myself when I was deeply independent. And but when I went back to my, you know, security system, my parents and my family, like they were more than willing to give me a little support in the interim until things, you know, really worked themselves out. And then I also was able to find a bridge job where I could make money doing that and build this business on the side. And that worked really beautifully for me. So anyway, yeah, that's. God's voice, I'm sure, sounds different to everybody. It does. That's what I was asking. I'm telling you, the reason I love people so much is I think that really that's like our best conduit to the divine is other people and, you know, the conversations that we have and our understanding of them. And um, so every time in my life where I really needed a sign or really needed a message or it's been a person, which this was one of the rare times that it wasn't. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's really special. I'll bore you all over the story some other time. But we had lunch with a guy over the weekend who talked about... I'm gonna, he talked about having visions, like clear visions, like old OT visions. Yeah. Like, um, Dang. it just blows my mind that in any event, we could talk about it. It's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. point of it. but Well, so to get to the, what the business does, right? So I spent the first three years really just coaching people one-on-one. So I'd find individuals who were going through something I had, had experienced, and I would take them through a series of exercises that I would change very quickly and very frequently, depending on how well they worked or didn't. Um, And then on the side, the thing that really sustained me and was actually able to help me build a business over time was that I started working with a behavioral assessment that we're actually going to use in the EDP group called Predictive Index. So I was building my coaching business on one hand and then my Predictive Index based, uh, we called it Human Capital Advisory. That was like my title. So I I would actually sell this assessment into companies on a subscription basis and then I would go in and train some of their staff and then I would actually do uh, presentations to their employees, like here's what it is, and here's how we're going to use it, and then we do everything from like hiring better to creating teams to um, communication training to just even like understanding personalities and how do I manage people better and succession planning and all that cool stuff. And the reason this was so valuable for the coaching side of the business was that I got to see the huge breadth of humanity within the workplace, mm. which is to say that I saw people who were like such a great fit for their job that they were basically an asset. Like we couldn't do business without Kevin. We couldn't do business without Stuart kind of like asset. Right. And then there were people who were just struggling to get by. And so for every asset type person I met, I would talk to them and be like, how did you land this job? How did you get into this? What did it like? And just, research them. And then I would learn some nugget from that person and I would reverse engineer an exercise out of it and I would teach it to my clients. And it took about three years, but by the end of three years, I had a proven process that worked every time. And it was, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. And I would take our students through all these exercises. And then at the end, they would know exactly what they wanted to do. They would know why what they were doing wasn't exactly what they wanted to do. And they would know how to articulate their ideal career in very certain terms. Right. So then I was like, ah, I'm cooking with grease. Let's like turn this into a business and a program. And so that's when I really switched my time from the majority of time with Predictive Index and the minority of my time on my stuff, which I'm going to call the nth degree, which was its first name, and started swapping that. And then created programs um, that were more uh, programmatic, meaning like digital videos, exercises, workbooks. So they were much more uh, packaged, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so started selling that. And so now we do, we work, um, you know, the, the majority of the work that I've done in the past and my team has done small team is with individuals, really just incredible work, helping people get clarity. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the, uh, newest branch of our business is corporate. 
And it's so much fun because I get to do these like like right now I'm doing this one uh, intervention for this uh, medical device company. So I don't I didn't know this going into it. Only 20 percent of the executives in the medical device space are women across the whole industry. All executives. Right. Um, So this specific company created a group within their company an, an employee resource group solely to help women and allies grow in leadership in their company and in the medical device space overall. So that group hired me to work with a hundred of their members, mostly women, and take them through a 10-week process where I'm taking them through our clarity program. And by the end of it, they're going to know their passion, they're going to know their purpose within the industry, and they're going to be able to articulate their maximum value add within that industry so that they can hopefully have a better chance at progressing to leadership roles. Um, And we're on week eight right now, and it's going amazing. Like, people are just having crazy breakthroughs. And then some people are already in these roles where, like, I didn't realize how great of a fit I am at this role, and so maybe I can advocate for more and this and that. And it's just been really fascinating to watch and it's i love doing it it's like very energy rich work yeah i yeah. can see that yeah i can see that so that's what we do and uh, and that's kind of how i got plugged into edp and texo in the first place was um michael knapp big shout out <laughs> he's the older brother of my best friend growing up his brother thomas and uh he was involved in ycc and yeah. said hey can you come in and do a speech for us and so the first speech i did was something very similar to like the clarity process that we take people through and talking about core values and that sort of thing and uh, and then it's all spiraled into this. And so I, I really think the EDP thing is going to be really cool as far as a program. Can I ask a dangerous question, maybe? Oh, dear, yes. Ooh, hold on for the drum roll. Yeah. So corporation hires you yes. for, for career clarity. Yes. What, and like what, like playing the what if game, the Stewie what ifs. What if there's like some sort of mass exodus because you've unlocked everybody's <laughs> potential? Like, and they're like, we you know hate what? this job. We've yeah. got to get out. She's 100% right, and I'm 100% doing the wrong thing. Is And I think you mentioned it earlier yeah. switching roles. Like, maybe it's an estimator yeah. that's a project manager. Like, there's roles within the firm that you're more cut out for. Like, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like? God. Okay. So, my short answer to this is I think clarity benefits everyone. Meaning if you as the employee are more clear about where you add value, then you can advocate for that and actually add more value. If that means you're in the totally wrong place, but in the right company, then you can say, hey, I love working here. I love the people. I shouldn't be in the accounting department. Mm-hmm. I should actually be in sales, mm-hmm. whatever. And and you have data to back that up. It's not just like, I'm unhappy here. Mur, mur, mur. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like, I the actually, mur, mur, mur. Mur, mur, mur. Yeah, that's, that's that my disgruntled sound. Um, it's not just complaining. <clears throat> it's like actually going and being proactive and saying, I think I can do more for this company here in this mm-hmm. space, right? And if it turns out that they're just, like, biding time on your payroll, you want them out anyway. Like, nobody wants somebody who's in a seat just to keep it warm and wasting everybody's time and wasting everybody's money. Yeah, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And I think you're – you guys both are are sort of thoughtful and forward-thinking leaders that will see that. There are some old-school people who would say exactly what Kevin said, right? Oh, I don't want you to convince all my people to leave. If you're worried that the majority of your people would leave, if you, you take them through a career clarity process... They'd be leaving anyway. You've got a huge problem, mm-hmm. and you're probably suffering because of it, right? You, you, that person can't be happy as a leader, knowing that their people aren't, like, either A, fully engaged, or B, fully productive, so I, I just think clarity benefits everybody. And and to have an ecosystem of clarity is even more important because if you've got, like, young people who know what they want and are advocating for themselves but there's no next level of leadership that's listening to them and helping them progress their careers, then that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I, I did a, a gig for McCarthy a couple years ago, and this was the issue we were talking about. <coughs> was 
And, you know, Wendy over there, she's like, I really want to create an ecosystem where you've got managers who are listening <laughs> and yeah. willing, right? And they know, and everybody's speaking the same language. That's that's part of the issue. Someone can be advocating for themselves, but if they're speaking in one language and your manager isn't trained to know what they're saying, then it's kind of falling on deaf ears. Yeah. Let me ask you a question here. Yeah. The, Wendy Hatchell. I yeah. Just, I just met her. I wanted to Love check, double check that. Yeah, she's out. awesome. She's a super forward thinking HR professional in your space. So huge, huge kudos to Wendy. Yeah, I was trying to ask a question, bro. Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> let me interject every now and again, would you? <laughs> he wanted to let you know that he can LinkedIn search quickly. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Wendy's like, who's Kevin Carey? Lies. <laughs> I always forget that people can see when you look at their profiles on LinkedIn. I just sort of think it's like I have carte blanche to just like creep on people. And then I remember that. If you look at someone's profile, it'll tell you. Oh, for sure. Tracy looked at you today. Yeah. And guess who does not care? <laughs> Me. This guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't care if you know I looked up your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Whatever. It could actually be strategic. Yeah. yeah. People get so worked up about stuff like that. I'm like, stop caring so much. Yeah. Just, just stop. Since we're ditching, Wait, he, we, he calls it insta-ditching. question. No, let's a, keep ditching. I had a question. So lefty scroll on like social media mm-hmm. makes me like thumb-like post by accident <laughs> because I'm on this. Oh, I'm on, I'm on the side that's hitting the like button. Dangerous. I love it. Very. So lefty just, curse, just like golf, you know. They should have a lefty, like, setting. Scissors. Scroll setting, yes. Oh, look at Call Google. You could They do have be lefty scissors. They do. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, we, we get special things. Oh. <laughs> All right, ask your question. It's going to be great. Do you remember it? Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> I was just going to pretend like I didn't. I got a mind like, an, nah, like a steel passed. trap. Yeah. yeah. You remember that Dr. Pepper commercial? This is an old Dr. Pepper commercial. It was a phenomena. No. no, but that was too. This the one was like an old man sitting on the patio, and he gives him a Dr. Pepper, and he's like, "Yeah, that's diet Dr. Pepper." And he's like, "Diet Dr. Pepper." I need diet Dr. Pepper, and he talks about like he's got a mind like a steel trap, and then he says, "Seventeenth uh, president of the United States is Leonard Fillmore, and I got it. the capital of Djibouti is Djibouti," which makes me laugh every time. I do remember that. Yeah, now. yeah, because that's true. The capital of Djibouti. Is Djibouti. is Djibouti. So my mind's not like a steel trap, so I have no idea why you even brought this up. Because he said Because my mind's like a steel trap, question. so I remember the question. Oh, which... so this isn't even the... Qu- no, no, we haven't yeah. even gotten there yeah, yet. Yeah, so the... So the... <laughs> this is sort of like the, the not <laughs> conversation before we started. I feel like we should just move on and just leave the listeners wondering, like, what was he going to ask? No, so... They've tuned out. Don't yeah, do that to me. They stopped... Li- well, let's know. see. We're about 45 minutes in. They've stopped listening 35 minutes no, ago. No, we're <laughs> fascinating. You stop. Our listener... Uh, numbers actually stay pretty strong all the way through. I love it. Yeah. Anywho, the question was, <laughs> like, like, is there a generational, or in your observations, yes. is there some sort of generational overlay to this where you're like, well, younger people care more about people being happy and older people just want them to grind it out and earn a dollar and shut up and sit down and do your work? Or I've very, very stereotyped everybody right now. Yeah. The question really is, is it true? Okay. Hot take. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think everyone, at the end of the day, wants to be happy in the work that they do. I think that some people have gotten very used to having lower standards than that and accepted that for so long that they think it doesn't exist. Like the number, oh, one of the things I hear all the time is like, I'm so worried I'm going to go through your process and go through this whole program and have spent this money and time and then my dream job's not going to exist. It's not going to be a thing. The thing I want to do isn't going to exist or it's going to be impossible for me to get or it's not going to exist in the area I want to live or whatever it is, right? 
never in the history of the world have there been more ways to make money. (laughs) So it's nearly impossible for somebody's dream job to not exist, especially when you're crafting that dream job around who you are and what your personality and gifts are and then what your previous history is. Like all of those are things that are real that you can apply. Anyway, the generational thing I think is is really tough. I think it's just a matter of um, expectations and a matter of the level of acceptance that people have towards the status quo. Okay, so what you would say then is it's not we're not generationally different. We're not No, people are genetically, people. Yeah. People want to be happy, people want to thrive, people want to love the work they do every day. Nobody wants to wake up and be miserable. But some people have just gotten used to it. And so you're like this is what I do. I'm just going to grind it out cuz this yeah. is who I am and what I and do. And you know what it would take more work to change and uh. I'm not willing to do that work. And that's not a bad or a good thing. It just is. And if you're willing to do it, Kudos to you, and here's the work you're going to have to do. And if you're not willing to do it, then you have to be willing to say, well, I'm going to suck it up for X number of years because that's all the years I have left to work, and so that's fine. My opinion, though, is that that leaves purpose on the table. Like, you have so much purpose to give if you want to have a purpose-driven career and so much impact you could have that, like, why would you waste any amount of time professionally just phoning it in or doing something just because you've done it for 10, 20, 30 years? (laughs) We only get, like, this one life. Like, I, yeah. I get so excited about that and also so, like, terrified about that that, like, it's limited. Like, why waste any of it? Why phone any of it in? Why accept mediocre ever? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just it, – that's but that's my personal belief. And and for me, that actually it, – it, it makes life hard. Like, my road is hard because it's not average and it's not accepting of the status quo and it's not cookie cutter. And so – you know, at the very beginning of this podcast, Kevin, you said you're living your dream life and job. No, I'm not. I'm struggling every day to to help more people. And if I could do anything all day long, it'd be this. <laughs> but this doesn't pay the bills. You know, this doesn't get us our next client. So getting myself to that place is still a goal of mine. But yeah. the work I do is purposeful and the work I do is important. And that's what keeps me going, if yeah. that makes sense. No, for sure. I get that. I just want to be honest about that because I think there's a myth that like, you're an entrepreneur and all of a sudden you're living this perfect lifestyle and you've got everything you want. Like the reality is like, it's hard out here sometimes. 100%. My you were talking about that this yeah. morning. Yeah. In this morning's it, meeting. There's like a silly like video game culture sort of meme around that, which is some, something to the effect of like, you always know you're going the right direction if you're fighting all the battles or yes. fighting all the enemies. That's how you know you're headed towards the end or something. I'm messing My it up. My mentor said that right when I got started with this business. I was like, why are all these obstacles popping up? He's like, that's how you know. you're mm. going. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't it be the right direction if everything lays down and it's all perfect and it's this like great path? And no, I'd be boring. Close the way. It would yeah. probably be, and that's the other thing. Like, man, I wish I. You know, my mom and I talk about a lot, and this is going to sound really elitist and whatever, but I don't care. I, More so than taking a yacht around yeah, right? the world. <laughs> no, no I, I'm kidding. Like, we're both smart. You guys are smart and thoughtful about your life and how, and you're living it purposefully and intentionally. But like, how much easier would it to, would it be to be the kind of person who doesn't get bored easily and can just do the mundane day to day? Like, I, I some days I'm just like so envious of that person because it feels like that might be an easier existence, if that makes sense. Ignorance but, is bliss. Yeah, kind of thing. yes, it's, it's exactly. Slightly, it's slightly yeah. a field from that, but that's the underpinning of it for sure. It's a hundred percent that. And so, you know, I would say that. To, to roundabout get to a, some sort of answer to your question. Um, 
it just comes down to your level of acceptance of of what is a good life and a good existence for you. And mm. that's different for every person. You know, some people can really, truly work to, to live. And so they go to work and they do their thing and they get paid well. And then they live for their time outside of work. And that's enough for them. And if that's enough for you, there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is that you may have some other purpose or impact that you could explore professionally that the world would go without. If you didn't, mm. right? If we all believe we're here for a reason and you have this unique imprint to have on the world, then, you know, suffering and sucking it up in a job you hate is really not just deeply negatively impacting you. You're also, the world is going without that cool thing you could be giving it and as is your community and your family and, and all those things. So again, neither is better or worse. I think it's just a level of your own personal desire of how you want to live your life yeah. and and. That's everybody's choice. Man, EDP retreat in January is going to be so cool. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so glad you came on because now yeah. tomorrow we have a steering committee meeting yep. where we're going to be talking about January. I'm going to get all them hyped up about it. <laughs> You're going to have to listen to next week's 1720 episode. <laughs> I love it. Well, I don't know that every EDPer is a 1720 listener, but they will be next week. They will now. This is required curriculum. Yeah. Most most are, and so they're going to get like a good inside take on where we're headed in January. Well, and the value creation, you know, yeah. like I. So for me, I'm on the steering committee, but in January, I I like to take a step back and yeah. and be selfish with that time and of learn course. some more about me and the future and path and some gut punches. Like I'm super excited. It's going to be good. All right, so usually we end with like a one-two, talk about books and stuff, but we got to talk about your book first. <gasps> yeah. Rumor has it. it you wrote one. I did that, you guys. I checked that box. That how was, was How was that? Gru oh, grueling. It's a grind, yeah. yeah. So I had always wanted to write a book. Always, always. That, in fact, was like the beginning of my very first website was just a pot, or it was just a blog, and it was meant to be like an MVP, minimum viable product, yeah. towards a book. I learned about MVP this week on... Shark Tank. It's my favorite show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Anyway, Love it. MVP. Um, I learned about MVPs on Semester at Sea from the guy from Stanford who uh, has a whole school on design thinking. So we learned like literally how to iterate and come up with ideas, oh, well, yeah. which was so cool. Um, so anyway, I started that and I uh, had been batting around a book idea for at least 10 years. Um, but finally, when I came to the point where I had this course that was working really well, um, I contacted a, a like a agency publisher crossover kind of thing and and they helped me from beginning to end so like ideation to the actual like printing of the books uh with everything so it's probably like an 18 month process it's really grueling like writing a book is not for the faint of heart mm -hmm. i'll probably do another one at some point but it'll be a while um, but the whole book is is my t attempt at writing something that is more current and useful than what color is your parachute so it is literally a step-by-step -step process for someone who doesn't know what they want to do, maybe has some ideas, but has no way of putting them cohesively and clearly together to, to start to craft a niche for themselves in the marketplace. So the book has three sections called Discover, Define, and Drive. The book's called Unstoppable. Um, the Discover section is Discover Your True Professional Value. So what are you working with? What are all the puzzle pieces that make up who you are as a professional? The Define section is then Define Your Ideal Niche in the Marketplace using those puzzle pieces. And then the last section is Drive. So how to drive your dream career forward. How to use networking. How to use like unique navigational skills like actually going into someone's office and shaking a hand and like obviously pre-post-COVID, but you sure. guys get the idea. Yeah, yeah. But like making relationships and being a human being and realizing that a lot of work is relationships and relationship building. And without that, 
you know, you really are just a resume on a stack and things like that. So, yeah, it's I mean, it's been fairly successful. You know, I know a lot of people who bought it, read it, had great outcomes from it. Um, I'd love to give one to the, you know, EDP members if, you know, we're giving out books. But um, but yeah, what do you want to know? Stories of impact from a a reader or something where they read it and it's like, all right, change the trajectory of trajectory of my life. Trajectory. Can I tell you that the best stories I have about that are people who helped me along the way who then decided to completely quit what they were doing and go and do something they really cared about. So like my very first, uh, so I I did a podcast. (laughs) This is a great story, actually. I had a podcast, my own podcast for almost a year. And one of my friends from Semester at Sea, Ethan, gave the podcast as a recommendation to uh, their, like, how their cleaner, this woman who, like, either, like, lived with them full time and cleaned or, like, came in a couple times a week and cleaned their house and whatever. So she would listen to it while she was cleaning. She ended up quitting her job with them because she, like, realized what her passion was and she got so inspired by this podcast. She's like, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to stop cleaning houses or whatever. And what was it? I don't know. But oh. he told me that story. He's like, we literally lost like the best cleaner because of you. It's <laughs> like, well, sorry. So then the podcast editor, the guy who was doing my editing every single week, he's like, I've just been so inspired by your podcast that I'm not going to be a freelancer anymore. I'm going to go after my passion or whatever. Do your own editing. And I was like, oh, dear goodness. You people have to stop doing this to me. Um, but I get stories like that all the time of like this unintentional impact that I've had on people who've been tangentially related to the business. Um, the book, though has been really fascinating to to watch and hear people go through because I it was it was challenging to write because honestly I think the best way to go through a process like this is not alone ultimately right like yeah. like read a book yes you can implement a lot of that stuff on your own yes but at the end of the day if you're really struggling with clarity having a third party sounding board somebody who's objective can give you perspective mm. is crucial so when i got to the part about crafting your niche i literally had to i i called my editor and i was like i don't know how to write this because ideally you'd have a person to do this with and she's like write that right, yeah. <laughs> right so i ended up writing a whole caveat to the niche crafting section that says hey like if this is hard there's a reason it's because you doing my one of my business coaches used to always say um, asking someone to do their own introspection is like asking a gifted cardiothoracic surgeon to do her own open heart surgery. Like you have the knowledge, you have the experience, you have the skills, but you lack the perspective necessary to get what you want out of that process, which is why you need a coach and or someone a partner, a spouse, what anyone who can be objective. Right? Yeah, see episode eight regarding community. Oh, right. Love. I mean, this is basically Good like you need, you need to have somebody who can speak into your life and understand you and know you and mm-hmm. say this, not that, or you're not understanding it's what's crucial. going on. Yeah. So I've had a lot of people come to me when they get to that section. They're like, now I'm ready, you know, to to really go through this process with somebody and with some help and, and things like that. So, and then I've just had a lot of people who've who've read it and said I was just inspired by the story. Because I told that Wall Street story at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book, and they were just like, I, I've never, I didn't realize there were people out there who felt like me, or, you know, just really, I wrote it as, as it's going to, you guys are going to maybe read a couple pages of it. Um, I wrote it as though I was talking. And so a lot of people that I know personally were like, I felt like I was just sitting and talking to oh, you instead cool. of reading a book. That's cool. Which is great. Yeah. So it's, it's a really strong book. And if you're, if you're out there really struggling, you're not happy with your job, you're just looking for a good place to start. It's the perfect place to start because it starts with getting your foundation, figuring out what you value, figuring out what your non-negotiables are at this phase of your life and really setting you up foundationally for success moving forward and then adding in all those other components that really make up your professional value yeah. over time. So. Buckle up for EDP. You're showing up <laughs> to the retreat with three books. Yeah. Oh, you already read 
Two of them. You read Compete Every Day and Talent War. Correct. Third book. You only have to read one. Look at that. Have you had Jake on the podcast? Oh, yeah. I know oh, Jake he's a, he's a good friend. Yeah, he's like a good dude. Is this out? I, I, I think it might have just been released, but he sent it to you and I pre-release. Yeah, a copy of Jake's book sitting on the desk. Oh, cute. I love it. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, he'll text us every once in a while and be like, hey, that was a great episode. So, oh, I love fr- that. Friend of the show, listener good. to the show. Awesome. I was thinking about introducing you two, so oh, y'all already good. know each yeah, other. Yeah, we know each other through NSA, National Speakers Association. Ah. Not the... Spy agency. <laughs> oh, wait. This got awkward. Yeah, you left an A out of there. It's NASA. Uh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> nope. That's definitely not it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was an insta-ditch for sure. NSA to NASA. Okay, so setting aside your book, let's do, yes. we'll kind of step aside of this. Setting aside your book, yes. what's one of the ways we end usually is to talk about something that you've read that pivot point, instrumental, go back, made a few laps over it, something you love. I'm just kind of feeling time while you I think. Get? So, whatever it doesn't have to be one yes. it could be a couple so number one that comes to mind is this really simple coffee table book that I stumbled on a few years ago that was a game changer for me it's called um, If Life is a Game These are the Rules so it's teeny tiny you can probably get it at like Barnes and Noble for seven bucks you know um, and the woman who wrote it originally wrote it as a list in the very first iteration of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, oh, yeah. and it was labeled anonymous. And then Jack Canfield figured out who wrote it and tracked her down and said, I want to give you credit. And by then, she actually had been inspired to like elaborate on this list. And so the book is actually each lesson uh, is is broken up into four or five virtues. So like lesson number one is you will be given a body. And so that's the virtue of acceptance, the virtue of like a couple other things, patience, you know, stuff like that. And so she actually tells these really great vignettes about like learning each of those lessons. And the reason it resonated with me so much is that she really struggled in her early and mid 20s trying to figure out what her mission was in life and the work she wanted to do. And she similarly received what she calls these three great messages um, about, you know, you will have an impact on people and you will be a inspiration for change. I don't remember what they all are, but the big thing that I thought was fascinating about reading her experience, getting those messages was that they actually made her really sad. So instead of her being like, yes, I'm going to go do this thing. It was like the old version of herself, like the, the childlike, I don't know my passion. I don't know what I want had to sort of die to let this other version out. And she actually went through like this, this period of grief that was really fascinating, which Frankly, I find a lot of people who are thinking about career change are really held back by that fear of actually doing something that they really care about. And it's so much easier to live in the comfort of doing whatever you're used to, you know. This goes to that first Saturday you had yeah. after softball's over. Like, that's your identity. I've been doing X for Y number of years. Letting that go means I let go of that person who is yeah. identified as that thing. What a great callback. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah, it's exactly that. I'm a trial lawyer. I kind of tie things up. You know, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> nice little bows. Yeah. I like it. So that book, insanely life-giving. One I just picked up recently um, that's been sitting on my nightstand for literally years is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. So he's a huge Oprah um, uh, guru, like one of her favorite, Deepak Chopra, blah, 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 and this guy. Uh, and the book is really about how the only thing that's real in life is the moment that's happening right now. Mm. And 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 he does such a great job of making a case for this. He's like, so many of us live in the past, which has already happened and now only exists as memories. Mm-hmm. So it's not even real. It's not happening anymore. It doesn't have to have an effect on you if you don't want. Mm. 
Or you don't at least need to, meta, you don't need to live in that moment. You can live in the now and be free from that, right? And then so many of us, myself included, constantly anticipate the future and are worried about things that might happen. But guess what? The only time that they ever would happen is right yeah. now. Yeah. So I, he just I read that book a couple months ago when I was taking like a week long break from work, and I came back to work with so much peace and calm because I stopped worrying about the things that were tomorrow's problem and just focused on today and i felt i've it, game changer amount of peace and even my mom who i'm super duper like very very close to best friend was like you seem different <laughs> like, <laughs> a little less stressed out and i was like I, I think it's this book and um reading doing the bible in a year podcast has been really influential to me this year just getting deep into that and because i'd really never read the entirety of it before and so having those two influences at once was kind of interesting the the meta guru mm -hmm. sort of new age thinking quote unquote which really isn't it's really ancient um and then the bible and, and those stories and that sort of thing so give, yeah. give the bible in a year you're listening to a pitch because the way you were talking yeah, about it was oh interesting gosh. so the bible in a year podcast um for months it was the number one podcast on itunes at the beginning of the year it might still be ranked in the top 10 top 100 it's with father mike schmitz and it's literally called bible in a year uh featuring jeff cavins and so both of them are catholic and one is a priest and one is a bible scholar and Jeff Cavins, the Bible scholar, wrote a version of the Bible. Like, he added in stuff. He didn't, like, rewrite the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he added it. He called the Great Adventure Bible. And it's actually meant to be read um, historically so that you're reading everything in context. And it's broken up into sections. So it's got, like, Old World and then the the Kingdoms period of time, the Judges period of time, like, all that kind of stuff, which was just really great for me because there are maps in there that show you, like, where people were moving around at the time. And then there's, like who was in charge, uh, you know, globally, who was the power reigning at the time. So it puts everything into historical context, which was cool. Mm -hmm. And then before COVID happened, my, I took my mom for her 60th birthday to Jerusalem. And we did um, like 10 days there in, in Israel, which was just like incredible. Yeah. So that was fun to put all that into context too. But that podcast is amazing. So he'll read a couple of verses um, and then he'll give about a eight to 10 minute like commentary on the importance of them and what you're supposed to take from it and stuff like that. And I just, I love it. It's love good. It. All right. So here's how we usually end. <gasps> okay. Drum roll, please. I don't want to. No, it's the, it, we call it our one big thing. It's a little kitschy, kitschy, right? But like, what is, I, I, I sort of put, try to put it in this like box, which is if like somebody just happens to tune in right here at the last minute, mm. all they get from you is like a parting shot as a big takeaway. All right. What do you want to be ready? Okay. Yeah. So this, again, goes back to another semester at Sea Story, but that was such an influential period of time for me, and I, I walked away with so many great mentors and life lessons. This is one of my favorites. So I was about a week from that process being over, and I hadn't, like, landed a job yet. And part of me going was that I had sort of reasoned to myself that this will be worth the investment if I get to, to test out going to school versus traveling versus just getting the next job, whatever that looks like. And if the answer is getting the next job, then I'm going to use these four months while I'm on this trip to figure out what that is and to, to get it. And if I don't, I had this zero-sum game in my head where it, it wouldn't have been worth the investment. And so I was getting really anxious by the end, which, mm. again, stupid <laughs> in retrospect because – that's a great life experience no matter what you get out of it. But anyway, that took perspective to learn. So it was like the last week I was on the ship and I was talking to one of the professors of psychology. And I went to him. He was also a Yale grad, which was very random. And so we were kind of kindred spirits. I'd studied psychology. I got to sit in on a couple of his classes. He's a really nice guy. And I was like, okay, I have a really philosophical question to ask you. 
do I go for it? Like, should I just go back into finance, do the thing that's comfortable, that's easy, that's like, it wasn't comfortable or easy, but do the thing that my history says is what I should keep doing because that's all I've ever done. Or should I like really go for it and tr- and even though I don't know what it is yet, keep putting in the effort to figure it out? Because that was a big risk for me personally. And he said, it is always worth taking your meaningful shot for the stars. And I'll tell you why. In psychology, there are only two types of regrets. They call them sins of omission and sins of commission. So you can only regret two types of things. You can regret something you did that had an outcome you're not happy with for whatever reason. Or you can regret something you actively chose not to do and wish you had done it. Okay, So in the literature of psychology, when you have a regret for something you did, you can very generally speaking, quickly and easily get over those things. Like you move on, life goes on, but it's because of the way the brain works. The brain loves a beginning, a middle, and an end. It likes a closed loop. And with regrets for things you did, you you took an action. It had an outcome you didn't like, but it had an outcome, and so you can move on. Regrets for things you never did not only don't have an outcome, they have an infinite number of possible outcomes. And this is why on your deathbed, the things you will regret are the things you never did. The time you didn't say I love you, the time you didn't quit that job, the time you didn't stand up for yourself, the time you didn't put your family first, the time, whatever it is, we will regret infinitely more the things that we choose not to do because we will never know what could have happened. The brain doesn't realize this though, right? The brain is looking for an answer and that's why those what ifs will eat at you years and years and years afterwards. So he explains this to me and I'm like, like, like I've never been more convicted to just give it a go in my life because even if it doesn't work out, I'll know what happened. And even if that's a regrettable outcome, it will never haunt me in the same way that something being too afraid to, to try would, would haunt me forever. And, and so I just decided from then on, now I'm the girl who literally I'm at a bar and I see a guy who's good looking. I'm like, that could be my future husband. I'm going to go say hi. <laughs> and if I crash and burn, at least I know, well, that wasn't it. And then I move on. But I never, ever want to be that person again who sees an opportunity, is too afraid to go for it, and then later on regrets not having done it because of what could have happened. So I don't do that anymore. And it is life changing. So if you're just tuning in and you're looking for any reason to quit, any reason to make positive change in your life, I've never heard a more compelling reason than the difference psychologically in how we process regrets because you will experience, you will, it is a fact, it is a cognitive scientific fact that you will experience more regret when you actively don't give something a try because you're afraid than if you gave it a try and failed miserably. Boom. It is my favorite piece of advice to give people. E- EDP better buckle up. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I got my chair swivel. So you, oh, you, you yeah. don't know me that well, but the chair swivel, it means I'm, I'm locked in. Oh, yeah. good. Yay. Yeah, chair okay. swivel is like a, a dog's tail <laughs> wagon. I'm, I'm in really good shape right now. You're, You're crushing. Core. Yeah, it's the core. We get it's, to do life with you next year, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. I've been I've been looking forward to it. I was so grateful that Aaron and Ross reached out and had this whole idea, and so I got to be a part of kind of crafting it with you guys, and I just think it's going to be great. I mean, you know this already, but that group is a bunch of rock stars. Mm, it mm-hmm. is industry leaders and going to be leaders and just... Mm-hmm. I know. I'm pumped. We're going to have, I mean, great relationships, great conversations. We're all going to learn a lot. I'm, I'm already convinced i'm gonna learn a ton so i'm getting as much out of this i think as the group will you know how how i'm gonna get stuff out of it 
Tell me. By showing up. <laughs> I'm 0 for 1. Okay, so if people are trying to find you on the internet, give us some email, contact, yeah, website, LinkedIn, stuff it. like that. So we rebranded this year, my company, to kind of make sure that Tracy Tim was a brand and then our company, our business, was its own brand. And so that brand has become Thrivest, which is a word we made up. Uh, Thrivest, I, I'm a huge nerd. You guys know this already. Um, if you break down the etymology of that word, it's thrive and then I-S-T, the suffix, which means one who does. Hmm. So like an artist or geologist, like that's what that ist means. So Thrivest is one who thrives. So our website and all of our social media is at one who thrives or one who thrives.com. So O N E W H O thrives.com. And then, yeah, my name is Tracy Tim, T R A C Y T I M M. I have my own website as well. You can go check me out there. Uh, but we have incredible, you know, career clarity programs that help people like what we've been talking about all day, identify their ideal career and finally have the tools they need to go chase it with focus, uh, and intention. Um, and then, we work with companies as well, and so that's why I'm excited to do more of this type of EDP work, and I'm talking to some other people in the group as well about some some things we can do there. So, yeah, please reach out, and, and my email is Tracy at One Who Thrives, so easy to find. There you go. Awesome. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you, guys. This is amazing work you're doing for, for really incredible people, so I'm glad to be a part of it. 